What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Next Level Freedom Church podcast. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. If you're seeking a church family that can help you grow in your relationship with Christ, or maybe you just want to check us out online, be sure to check out our website, www.nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. I hope today's episode will inspire you and encourage you as you fulfill the destiny God has for your life and fulfill your divine purpose in God's master plan. Thanks for tuning and God bless. Good morning. Welcome to those of you that are tuning with us online this morning, as well as those of you who are here in my presence this morning. I want to say welcome to Next Level Freedom Church. We thank you that you've given us the time of day to come and check us out. If you're tuning online, let me go ahead and introduce myself this morning. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. We're so glad you tuned online this morning, but what we want to do is invite you, you hear me say it every week, to come on down and be a part of what God is doing in Jackson, Missouri. But we do thank you for tuning online. The address, once again, for those of you who might be thinking about coming, is 381 East Deerwood Drive, Jackson, Missouri. Thank you so much. Welcome, kids and adults and those of you out there. Glad to have you guys this morning. We're going to be continuing with our Signs of the Times series that we began last week. And if you were tuning in last week, you caught the fact that I said that we have put a pause big time pretty much on our Jacob series from Jacob to Israel. Uh, We'll get back into that sometime soon, but right now God told me it was time to stop. And it began a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the narrow path, and then God came in with wanting me to go to Matthew 24, which is where we're going to be spending the next at least couple more weeks, maybe three, in this passage. Because this is where Jesus himself is talking about eschatology and the stuff to be looking for in the, in, in the last days. So thank you for tuning. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 24. Today we're going to give it the title, Great Tribulation. We're going to be talking about Great Tribulation. Remember last week we kind of left on a high note. We talked about the great revival that is coming. And I told you I believe that we are getting ready to see this take place. Whether that be next year or a few years down the road, I believe God is already up to something. I can't give a date. I'm not a prophet, but I'm telling you that God is moving right now, and there are people's lives that are being changed all over the world. So thank you so much. But today we're going to be talking about Great Tribulation. As we continue in Matthew 24, we're going to be looking at verse 15. Let's go ahead and pray first, and then we'll get started in the word God has for me this morning. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for those here, those tuning online this morning, God. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would begin to speak your words through me, that they would not be my own, Lord, that your words would come across this microphone, and the words that go forth this morning would be only you, Lord, that you can speak to those who are listening and speak to their hearts in what they need to be looking for. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we are. Matthew 24, we're going to start, verse 15. We're going to start by reading through verse 20, and then we're going to talk about it. So it says, So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. No one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to their cloak or go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women 
and nursing mothers, pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. So we're going to be spending some time here in this first portion this morning talking about what Jesus meant exactly by that phrase, the abomination that causes desolation. We're going to be talking about that here briefly. Remember last week we kind of gave you the introduction. We talked about the fact that Jesus and his disciples were headed away from the city. This took place on Tuesday afternoon. The, remember, Sunday is the Palm Sunday. He comes in. He's got this victorious, triumphant entry into Jerusalem. People are putting palm branches at his feet. Monday, he goes into the temple and starts tossing tables and telling people, how dare you make my father's house a place of gambling, basically. They were taking people's money. A den of thieves is the words he used there because he said his father's house was a house of prayer. We also talked about last week that that ticked some people off, so they were aggravated. So he spent Tuesday morning going through all kinds of debates. Now they've left the city. They were headed back, and in order to leave to go back to Bethany, which is where they believe they were staying at this time, they have to Go through the Mount of Olives, and on their way through the Mount of Olives, I'm told, I've never been there, you look back and there was an amazing view of Jerusalem, the city, the temple, and the disciples, I guess, just trying to be, maybe bring something positive out of the day, saying, look, look, Master, look at all these beautiful buildings. And Jesus responded, not one stone will be left standing. And then he goes off into eschatology. We talked about the first portion last week. He basically uses the fall of Jerusalem, which took place in A.D. 70, to enter into a discussion about the end of time or the last days and what signs to look for, which is why we've called this series Signs of the Time. So he gets to this point. We ended on the great revival that's coming Now he's going right into this thing. Look at verse 1 there again, called the abomination that causes desolation. What does he mean by that? Here's what he said. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel. We're going to take a look at some of those passages in Daniel where he talks about that this morning. He said, let the reader understand. So what is the abomination that causes desolation? Well, in Daniel, remember Jesus said, spoken about the prophet Daniel here. If you go to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, here's what it says. Now, there's more to this. We're just hitting on the points that discuss this this morning. So as I'm preparing today's message, once again, there was like an overwhelming abundance of information coming in. It's like a big, huge download. And I'm like, God, I can't say all this on a Sunday morning. So tell me what points you want to hit on specifically And keep moving. So we're going to look at some verses, but understand this. There's a lot more to those prophecies than what we're going to look at today. But Daniel 9, 27, here's what it says. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. They tell us that that seven there is translated weak. And so basically, he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. And this passage is speaking of the Antichrist. Now here we go. In the middle of the week... He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. If we jump over to Daniel chapter 11 real quick, I kind of want to hit on all this before we get to talking a whole lot about it. Daniel chapter 11 
speaks of him again, verses 31 through 32, it says, His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the day of sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination, here it is again, that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. So we are going to talk briefly today about the Antichrist, this figure that the Bible tells us is coming. And it will be brief. We'll hit on it and we'll move on. But we, I, be, I do believe that this is worth mentioning this morning as we talk about what Jesus meant. And there are two other passages in Daniel that we didn't look at this morning where Jesus refers to the prophet Daniel and he said that this abomination that causes des- desolation, remember he says, spoken through the prophet Daniel. Though those are two of the passages in Daniel where he talks about the abomination that, abomination that causes desolation. Let's take a look. So over the years, let's start about 167 B.C. We have a record of this in the book of Maccabees, which for those of you who don't know, it's a historical book used by the Jews, and it might be even in the Catholic Bible as well. But it is a his- history book. We find that there was this man named Antichus IV Epiphanes. All right, so these names are a little different. But he believed... Back in 167 B.C., so this is a point when this scripture was brought up once again in Israel to where the Jews are thinking, well, this is the guy that Daniel was talking about. Uh, Not quite, but check it out. So this guy decides, you know what? In the Hebrew temple, we're going to set up a statue of the god Zeus. You guys know Zeus. If you've been through Greek mythology in school, you know who he is. Same guy. And also a statue of himself. So for years, this was talked about, and the book of Maccabees, once again, gives a his- history on it. We're not going to look into. But he, he further decreed that the Sabbath and other festal observances were to be profaned, that circumcision was to be abolished. Remember, that's what set the Jewish people apart was circumcision. And that swine and other unclean am- animals were to be sacrificed In the temple. Now, this would have been an abomination because he was doing this to insult the Jews. He was doing this to insult the Hebrew people, God's people, because God told him he doesn't want any of these unclean animals, and they were sacrificing unclean animals. So there was a time in 167 B.C. when the people thought, this is the passage Daniel was talking about. Then again in 26 A.D., we jump forward quite a few years there, We have Pontius Pilate. Y'all know him. He's the guy who sent Jesus to be crucified. Remember, he washed his hands clean of it. It's the same guy. He arrived as prefect to govern Judea and introduced to Jerusalem military standards bearing idolatrous symbols of the emperor. So once again, you get people start talking, going back to these passages in Daniel, saying, oh, this is it. This is the abomination that causes uh, desolation that the Daniel was talking about. So people jumped there once again, thinking Pontius Pilate, because he was bringing all these images and things of the emperor that to them were an abomination into the city. They're thinking, this is it, this is it. And there was still yet another group of believers after Jesus passed that believed Daniel's prophecy was being fulfilled when Emperor Gaius ordered that a gigantic statue of himself be set up in the temple in Jerusalem. Although he was dissuaded by King Herod Agrippa, Agrippa, 
the first and died in 41 AD before the order could be carried out. So once again, as they're thinking, he's going to set up his own statue in our temple. This has got to be the abomination of desolation that Daniel was talking about. However, this king never actually got around to it. He, never got, he died before it could happen, and Herod discouraged it. Because remember, Herod was at least going through the traditions of some of the Jewish religious beliefs at the time. Not the same Herod that killed all the babies when Jesus was born. Matter of fact, it was one of his offspring, I believe. So we've had all these people over the years saying, this is the abomination. This is what Daniel was talking about. This has to be it, right? We hear stuff like this still in today's world. Um, Not necessarily about this particular passage. But yet Jesus goes back to it here. Let's read what Jesus said again there in Matthew uh, 24, verse 15. He said, see... When you see standing in the, te- the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. So Jesus here seems to indicate that this abomination that causes desolation is still to come in the future. Hasn't happened yet. Now I understand the guy we just talked about, 41 AD, that would have been after Jesus, right? But it's not because it, he was never successful in putting that statue in the temple. It seems that Jesus, it is believed that this particular abomination will be set up in the last days by the Antichrist. Who's the Antichrist? Well, Paul writes about him in 2 Thessalonians. Let's see what Paul has to say. 2 Thessalonians verse, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. He's speaking of the Antichrist here. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. For those of you maybe familiar and i know it's 20 years ago now the left behind series or more now uh may have been familiar if you went read through the books and i'm not i can't remember which one where the antichrist sets up in himself a statue of himself he sacrifices a pig they were referring to this abomination in that particular passage now we're not exactly sure how exactly it's going to happen but paul goes on if you jump down to verse 8 of that same chapter second thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8 it says And then the lawless one, once again Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders to serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. There's that reference to that Antichrist again. He's going to have powers, or at least it's going to appear he's got powers, to do things. People are going to be convinced and deceived. And what did it say there? Did you check out there in verse 11? It says, check out verse 11 again. It says, for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion. So they will believe the lie. 
And so that they will all, that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth and have delighted in wickedness. Well, what lie is he talking about? He's talking about the lie that the Antichrist is going to push forward. The lie, even though he's got the power, they're serving a lie. And there will be people who just flat out reject the truth because their eyes are in the wrong place. And God says, because they reject me, I will send them a strong delusion. That sounds kind of harsh. Well, John speaks in Revelation. I'm going to stop with this passage. This is one I was going to read, but I decided for sake of time, I'm just going to give you a brief summary of what happens. If you go in your Bible, and you can read all of Revelation 13 if you want, verses 11 to 18. Here's the main idea. There are two beasts mentioned. The second beast is the false prophet who is causing people to worship the first beast, which is the Antichrist. So you've got the Antichrist at the first beast. Hopefully, if you check this out on your own, it'll help you get a better understanding of possibly what's going on. There's a lot of symbolism, especially in Revelation. So the false, or first beast is the Antichrist. The second beast is the false prophet. The false prophet will cause people to worship the Antichrist. There will be a lot of deception through signs... And power. Now notice it calls it a deception. There's another passage of scripture. We talked about it uh, within these last couple of weeks where Jesus said something along. He would even deceive the elect if it were possible. Because there are going to be many claiming with their mouths that they're believers that will be deceived by the lie. That they're being pushed their way. But check out, here's where it gets into the abomination of desolation, at least what they believe. Jumping down, if you look down there in Revelation once again, it talks about he will order an image, and it's talking about the false prophet, to be set up for the Antichrist. He will order a mark be given on right hands or foreheads in order to buy or sell, which contained the name or the number of the name, of the beast, which was 666. Some of you heard over the years that number 666, and you didn't really know. You just heard it was in the Bible, but you didn't know where it came from. Well, there's the passage that it comes from, how you can add up his numbers, because letters in Hebrew add up to a value, and it's saying to look for that man who will add up to 666. That's a whole different message. We're not trying to go there. But here's, what, here's the bottom line. Jesus is telling us here that the reader of Daniel will find the true fulfillment of this prophecy in the words he is speaking. Jesus is saying, even though there's been a lot of times they claimed, hey, this must be it, this must be it, at least three that we talked about earlier, Jesus was saying that a person that reads Daniel will know the true fulfillment of this prophecy by listening to the words that I'm speaking right now. So he was saying, "Let the how did he word it? Let's go back up and take a look. He said, there in Matthew 15, he said, let the reader understand. So the ones that are hearing these words, let them understand. Once this abomination that causes desolation is seen, here we go, a period of great distress will begin. And for those of you looking out there at me, the high belief is once this is seen, and like I said, there's other prophecies we're not going to get into today. Then the last three and a half years, if you're in uh, line with the seven-year tribulation theory, the last three and a half years of that tribulation will begin once this happens. And it is going to basically be hell on earth. 
There's going to be a lot of things happening. You thought you'd saw some bad times. We're going to talk more about that here in a minute. The second thing he mentions in these passages is the flight of believers. Remember there, as we continued in verse 16, he said, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And it's believed he's not only referring to them, but believers in this area at this time. Flee to the mountains. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. He gives five warnings right after that. Each verse is a different warning. Eusebius, in his historic records as a Christian historian, this isn't in your Bible, this is in his history books, reported that Jesus' warning to flee to the mountains was fulfilled during the Jewish revolt when Christians fled to Peia. However, we believe this is a general warning Jesus gives because the mountains have always been a place of refuge for invaders. So when this time comes, believers must find refuge there as well. So yes, there have been many times in history where they have fled to the mountains when things have happened. But the one that we're talking about is not here yet. Jesus is like a general warning. For their protection, they flee to the mountains. Verse 17 says, Let no one on the housetop go down and take anything out of the house. There will be no time for gathering provisions in the home. The flat rooftops back in this day, which is why they would have been on the roof when Jesus was saying this, they had flat rooftops, and basically they could come home from work, sit up there and catch an evening breeze. So they're up there relaxing, right? So if they're on the roof, is what Jesus was getting at, the flat rooftops were considered part of their living space. They would go up there to catch a breeze in the evening. So basically, if you're on your roof, like they would have been here, there's no time to run down and grab your stuff. That's the second warning Jesus gives. The third warning is in verse 18. He says, let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. Well, what's the uh, significance of that? The outer coat was an essential garment for traveling, often used as a blanket when sleeping outside, and only those in the greatest hurry would think of leaving it behind. Jesus is saying, you're going to have to leave it behind. There's no time to grab it. Run. Run to the mountains. When you see this desolation happening, run. This abomination happenings. Run to the mountains. There's no time to look back. There's no time to go back if you're already in the field and grab your cloak. Get out of there. Get, get. That's what he's saying. Verse 19 says, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Here's the fourth warning. The danger of travel in these perilous times is greatest for those most at risk. Jesus is emphasizing that those who are most vulnerable and who normally rely on the help of others will suffer the most. Pregnant women, women that are nursing, when they flee. That's why Jesus says, how dreadful or woe in some translations to those that will be pregnant or nursing. Because it's going to be a hard time for them. And then the fifth warning there he gives us is in verse 20 where he says, Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. Well, how would they have understood this? Well, flight in winter, when the roads were washed out and the rivers were swollen. This is in Israel, in that area. In other words, there's flooding. The rivers are flooding. They're swollen. Uh, there's, the roads are all washed out. Remember, these were dirt roads. Presents even more difficulty for those fleeing the horrors of approaching ruin. So he says, pray it's not in winter. But then he also makes the statement, pray it's not on the Sabbath. Pray it's not in winter or on the Sabbath. Disciples must cling to God, even if it means disrupting 
even the most devoutly held religious traditions, such as Jewish Sabbath. So the times that lie ahead, there's no time for looking back. There's no time for getting your stuff. Get out of there is what Jesus is saying. Now, if we continue in our text in Matthew 24, we're going to read there verses 21 to 28 as we head towards our wrap-up this morning. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, talking about believers, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. There's that verse we talked about earlier. Continuing in verse 25, it says, So I have told, see, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. So, getting into point three this morning. We've talked about the flight of believers. We've talked about, jumping back up there, we've talked about the abomination that causes desolation. Now we're going to get into our third point this morning, which is great distress. Or great tribulation, great things that are happening, dark days. Jesus said there in verse 21, For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. What does he mean by that? The world thought they've seen dark days. And we're going to talk about a few of those here in just a second. But they haven't seen anything yet. The horrors that fell on the Jewish people and on the entire world with the two world wars in the 20th century are a somber warning that the devastation that comes from humanity's unleashed depravity will yet be unequaled. So as bad as we thought World War I was, as bad as we thought World War II was with the Jews and the things that, the, you know, Holocaust, the different things we've seen happening, as bad as you thought that was, Jesus says in these days, you haven't seen anything yet. When this darkness comes, it'll be unlike anything you've ever seen in history. In Revelation 7 and 19, which we're not going to read, that's several chapters, John's vision reveals such a future time of incredible horror. Chapters 7 through 19 of Revelation hit on a lot of things that you're going to see, and there's a lot of symbolism. So make sure you bring something to study if you're wanting to read that. He also mentions there, which is point four this morning, cutting short the days. What did he mean by that? Remember verse 22? If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. It's a proverbial way of saying that God is in control even in these days of horror. No matter how bad it looks when those days come, we're not there yet. We're not even, we're not there yet, let's just say that. But when they arrive, when they come, as horrifying as they will be, It's a reminder that no matter what, God is still in control of the entire situation. 
because he will cut those days short. Why did he cut the day short? Well, we just read it in the verse because no one would have survived. If the days were allowed to continue, there would be no one left alive. But God will not let them last indefinitely. He is still in control. And we've talked about it earlier. The elect here that's mentioned are believers. So what he said there was, for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. And there are many interpretations as to what God means by that. We know he's referring to believers there, Jews and Gentiles alike. How that all goes down, we'll just watch it take place. We're not here to get into deep eschatology this morning. The fifth thing he mentions there is, once again, remember he's warned at least the last couple of weeks in several different passages about false messiahs, false prophets. So he warns against false messiahs. During that time, this time of great distress, there will be an unprecedented rise of miracle-working false messiahs and prophets who will have the agenda of the Antichrist in mind and be showing different signs, different wonders. That's why it's believed Jesus said it like this, because this stuff's going to be happening. And a lot of times, even in Jesus' day, these guys would take their people out into the desert, those that were willing to follow them, and they would go to the desert and follow them to the desert with promises. God would bless them in different things. But there's going to be all kinds of those popping up. Now, yes, we talked about last week that Jesus mentioned that those false prophets, those false messiahs have been around for years. But in this particular part of the passage, he's referring to the ones that are going to be, there's going to be numbers of them popping up all over the place, claiming they're prophets, claiming they're the messiahs, different things. Satan himself and his evil forces are able to manipulate the supernatural. Pay attention to this because Satan is only allowed the power God will give him. But Satan doesn't have the supernatural power of God, but he does manipulate. Satan himself and his evil forces are able to manipulate the supernatural, so the spiritually discerning must look for the hand that lies behind the signs and the miracles to see whether it truly comes from God. So no matter what they're doing, what types of signs and wonders they're showing you, understand this at the root. It's what's behind those signs and wonders that determines if they're truly from God. And so people who have the gift of discernment need to be able to discern the difference between a false Messiah and the real Messiah. If it's not Jesus, it's fake. There's an easy way to put it. But also... False prophets, people that's, we've talked about them the last couple of weeks. We won't go there again. Then there's this strange tape statement that Jesus makes here. And there's a few different interpretations. We're going to give you the three possible interpretations. I am actually part, uh, partisan or agree with the first one. But the author of the commentary agreed is with the third one. So there's different thoughts as to what Jesus meant by this. Well, what are you talking about? Well, let's go back here and look. In 27, we'll start there. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man, or so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, here's the weird statement, right? Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. It's kind of strange, right? That sounds kind of weird. Well, there's three possible translations that were given. Once again, 
as I'm studying, the way I, I looked at it as I was reading the passage, even before I looked at the commentary, I agree with this first one. Here's the first one. What does Jesus mean by where there's a carcass, there's vultures that will gather? The corruption of this world will draw false messiahs and prophets to converge and feed on those being deceived. What do I see? Well, wherever there's a dead word, a, a word that's not spiritual at all, they're just speaking a word, people are going to gather. Or, the way this is interpreting it, the actual interpretation of the vultures would be the false prophets and messiahs. They go to where the people will listen to what they have to say because they're dead in their spirit. The vultures gather there. There's another possible interpretation, and I know this is strange, but it says just as certainly, here's the second one, right? Just as certainly as vultures gather to devour a corpse or animal carcass, so all people will be drawn to see Christ upon his return. Hmm. So what's that saying? It's saying when Jesus splits the sky. Jesus basically told us in these verses, don't follow them because when I come back, the world will know it. I'm back. There's no denying it. Like lightning you see in the heavens, it's that obvious. When he returns, that will, you will know. However, this refers to the fact that the people are going to be drawn to that return. This interpretation. So they're looking for Christ. They're gathering around as he returns. Well, what's the third interpretation? We're getting ready to wrap up here this morning. The sphere of operation from which people can, can see high circling vultures converging on the carcass of a dead animal, so will be the visibility of the return of the Son of Man when he comes to bring judgment on the deadness of this corrupt world. This is where the author of this commentary, this particular commentary, landed. Now I can see his point as well. But it's kind of strange that Jesus would refer to himself as the herd of vultures in the sky. People will be drawn to it. There'll be Just as people see that, that's going to be how visible Jesus is. When you're driving by and you've seen it, most people have seen it. The vultures are all flying, making a circle. They found something they want to eat. People are going to look up, and his return will be that obvious. That's the interpretation this author lands on. So however you interpret that, we're not here to debate eschatology this morning. We're just here to get at what Jesus was saying. Verse 25 said, Jesus said, see, I've told you ahead of time. That's why I'm telling you this now. I told you I was in the middle of a series. God put me on hold. That was three weeks ago that last time we did anything on that series. God says, no, you're talking about this. And I'm just listening. He speaks to me as clear as day as I'm leaving the week Eddie was here. For those, that's been a few weeks ago. As I'm leaving, I'm like, okay, God, I guess we got to get ready for Jacob next week. He said, no, you're going to talk about the narrow road next week. And I had to actually go look up where that was at in Scripture. I knew it was there. That was Matthew chapter 7. After that week came and went, as I'm heading out to my car again, I'm like, okay, God, so I guess I got to start preparing for Jacob again, right? God says, no, you're going to talk about Matthew 24 this Sunday. That was last week. And as I began to dig into Matthew 24, God began to show me there's a lot there. And there's no way you're going to do this in one week. So we're taking four to five weeks, this is the second of those weeks, to talk about 
Matthew chapters 24 and 25, because it's all part of this Olivet Discourse. If you tuned in last week, you know what that means. This is the discourse, where G- discourse where, or the block of teaching that Jesus is talking about the end of time. So just in obedience with what God has spoken to me, I know this word is meant to go forth. Christmas is coming up. At this time, I think I'm planning to do a Christmas series. That's the plan once this is done. So we may get to Jacob maybe next year, but we'll get back to Jacob. But I got to be obedient to God. So here's what I know. God doesn't just speak for no reason. If God's telling me this is where we need to go, then guess what? He's speaking to somebody. Whether you're tuned on the podcast, whether you're tuned on YouTube, we just got an account on Rumble. If you're on Rumble and you want to subscribe to us there, you can check us out on Rumble. You can follow me on Parlor. I'll have a lot of that up next week so you can see. But Or Facebook. We're on Facebook as well. But understand something. God's got a word that he's trying to speak. And I'm telling you, and I've been telling you this for weeks now, we're living in the last of the last days. It's getting it's so close, and I'm not the only Christian that feels it. It's so close you can feel it. Now, that could be 20 years from now. I don't know. But we can sense as we look around at the signs of the times and the things happening right now in this world, the things that are yet to come, the things that we're starting to see fall into place. That God wanted me to pause for five, four or five weeks and talk. So here we go. That's the only reason I'm doing this, guys. I was ready to go back to Jacob. So if you're tuned right now, wherever you're tuned at, I want to thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're going to continue with part three of Signs of the Times. And we're going to be talking more about Matthew 24. We'll see how far God goes. This week, once again, I had to stop in verse 28, which still isn't the end of chapter 24, because I'm like, God, this is starting to pile up. There's so much information. I'll have to stop. And this is continually happening, and I have to pick and choose what I'm saying, but there's so much more than what I can deliver you on a Sunday morning. Know that as you study your word. Get yourself a commentary. Get yourself something to study God's word. Study it for yourself at home. Don't take my word for it. Study it. See what you come up with. But there are many Christians in this day that are going to be deceived by a lie, that are probably already being deceived by a lie. We're going to want that some other day. For right now, if you guys are tuning online, I want to thank you so much. I want to go ahead and dismiss you guys this morning for tuning in if you're tuning online. If you've never received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that is where your journey begins. You simply ask. You say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose on the third day, becoming victorious over death, that I might live. I ask you to come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. Forgive me of all my sins. From here on out, I want to live my life for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen. And it doesn't even take all those words. The Bible says if you believe Jesus came and rose again, you shall be saved. It's really about repentance. This is what we talked about on the narrow path message two weeks ago. Those that have never truly repented, they're missing it. They've never been saved. Repentance is key to salvation, which is not a prayer. It's a lifestyle. You need to understand that. But if you did just pray to receive Christ this morning, I want to thank, I'm going to celebrate with you. 
So here's what I want to ask you to do. Go to our website, nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. In the upper left corner, click on the menu button. The drop box will come down, go all the way to the right side, and click on the link that says The Road to New Life. When you click on that link, it's going to take you to a separate website that I created in college that will walk you through the process of salvation. There are scriptures there. There are explanations there as to why we need saved, how we get saved. You follow the pages in order. When you get to the last page, there's a prayer similar to the one I just prayed in case maybe you need to hear it again or you need to see it. And at the very bottom, there's a contact form that comes directly to my email, which is trentoncruz at yahoo.com. Go ahead and send me a contact if you receive Christ this morning. I want to celebrate with you, and I want to be the first to say, welcome to God's family. Your next step is to find you a good church home, get discipled, and be baptized, and follow in Jesus' footsteps, and then begin to dig in your word. Begin to understand things for yourself. Get a hold of books. Get a hold of things where other theologians and people can direct you and show you how to study that word, especially if you're thinking now, if you've heard me talk today or the last couple of weeks, about getting into eschatology. You really need a guide for that because there's a lot of symbolism there. Thank you so much for tuning in online. Next week we'll be continuing Signs of the Times. I hope you will join us then. Until then, I want to say God bless.